While leagues across Europe have ditched their second cup competitions, or in some cases never had them at all, the League Cup has stood strong. For all the talk of Premier League clubs not taking it seriously, the last eight finals have either been won by Manchester City, Manchester United or Chelsea. This season it'll be won by another big hitter. Liverpool want to win the tournament for a record ninth time, but Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea are determined to stop them. I'm Kevin Hatchard. And this is Football Only Better. It's the first domestic cup final of the English season, so it's appropriate that we have a suitably glittering tipping team. Shining, as always, is Mark O'Hare. Mark, this could be a fascinating game at Wembley between two incredibly good sides. Yeah, I mean, Liverpool-Chelsea matches always tend to have a bit of spice about them and, and always quite competitive contests. And it's nice that we've got a proper betting heat, a competitive final, because as you say, it's normally dominated by Manchester City and they almost always arrive as really strong favourites as well. So uh, things are a little bit more even in terms of what the, the market is expecting here. But um, I would kind of, I mean, it's not a strong play at all from me, but... I do favour Liverpool going into this match because of how the, the most recent match at Stamford Bridge played out in January. Because if you remember back then, the narrative going into that game was all about uh, Chelsea dropping Romelu Lukaku after his interview. Um, there was also a few injuries, fresh injuries for, for James and Chilwell back then. So they were supposedly under strength, but actually COVID and injury and suspension hit Liverpool quite hard too. So they went into that match without Alisson, Robertson, Matip and Thiago. And, uh, you know, if you look at the odds from that day, uh, the closing prices, it was a bit of a pick'em actually. So um, Liverpool were, were 2.72 at Stamford Bridge. And if you look at their price this weekend, they're around 2.4 at Wembley on neutral territory. So, uh, and you look at the available squads this weekend, Chelsea will be very similar to the same team that played Liverpool that day, um, possibly weaker if Kovacic and Ziyech's injuries are, are serious or severe after the match in midweek against Lille. Um, whereas Liverpool, they've obviously signed Luis Diaz, um, they now get their first choice goalkeeper and left back back, possibly their first choice midfield as well. Um, still doubts about Jota, of course, but... Yeah, I think Liverpool arrive in, in ruder health than Chelsea and I think their form line is also much stronger too. So um, I like the look of Liverpool this weekend. I think you can back them in the Asian handicap minus a quarter, uh, basically even money, which means if the game is a draw, uh, you only lose half of your stake with either half returned. I think you have to respect the draw in these big cup finals between these two teams, as well as Chelsea and their record in cup competitions under Thomas Tuchel. Um, you know, massive respect to them for that. Uh, but ultimately, I think Liverpool are the better team. Um, so yeah, I think just in terms of a price, uh, comparing the two between what happened at Stamford Bridge where I thought Liverpool were the better team and and possibly only um, ended up drawing the game because of Kovacic's, Kovacic's wonder goal. Um, I think there's a difference there and I think I'd rather be with Liverpool. The XG robots all have bow ties on for the occasion, of course, and the dashing don of data. Jake Oscarthorpe is here from InfoGoal. Jake, how do you see this Wembley clash going? Because Jurgen Klopp has mixed and matched in terms of his team selections throughout uh, this League Cup campaign. He has indicated he thinks that Quivine Kelleher may well start in goal ahead of Alisson because of the games that he's played in the competition so far, although we won't know that 100%, I guess, until the team sheets drop. But you'd expect a very strong Liverpool team. Yes, yeah. I kind of echo everything Mark said there in terms of 
a fancy for who's going to ultimately lift the trophy. I think Liverpool will probably prevail. I think that they're the better of the two teams. Um, but from from a betting standpoint, there was sort of one thing that did catch my eye, and it was the price around both teams to score, which is around even money. Uh, and I know this is a cup final, and usually they do tend to be quite low scoring. But the theory for me is that Liverpool don't aren't going to change their style, their system for just because it's a cup final. They're going to be playing the sort of typically front foot gung ho attacking football because that's ultimately what they do best. Um, and if you know if they if that they do what as I expect, kind of play in that manner and do score fairly early in the game. I do think I think Liverpool will score in the ninety minutes. I don't think Chelsea will be able to hold down this Liverpool team. I mean, after all, they're averaging two point eight expected goals for per game in the Premier League, which is just unheard of. Um, so if, if Liverpool score, then all of a sudden Chelsea have to come out and sort of have a go. And, and likewise, if Chelsea score early, it's just going to be just constant Liverpool pressure. So I think. I, I can't see this being low scoring. I, I really don't think it's going to be that way. I, I don't think that um, the way in which Liverpool will set up will allow a low scoring game. Um, and, you know, you only have to look at the two clashes in the Premier League this season. I know it's slightly different being a cup final, but there was, it was 1-1 at Anfield where Chelsea were really good in that first half. And then obviously the red card did kind of change things, but Chelsea were 1-0 up already, weren't they? And, uh, and Liverpool were having to go for it. Um, and then at Stamford Bridge, I mean, it was a sensational 45 minutes of football, wasn't it, that game? And it just really was end-to-end, both teams sort of open and having a go. I don't think it'll be that open, but for me, both teams to score looked uh, just slightly overpriced at even money, especially when you've got two teams with such immense attacking firepower. Odds compiler and betting expert Mark Stinchcombe is with us once again. Stinch, it's a really intriguing game, this, because if you look at Chelsea's record under Thomas Tuchel, won the Champions League final, won the Club World Cup final, but did lose that FA Cup final to Leicester City. So it's a mixed picture, I guess. So this is going to be a fascinating game because for Liverpool, it's the first domestic cup final for quite some time. Yeah, uh, we're touching on those probably three uh, two cool finals. Obviously, three's a small sample size, but they're all low scoring, weren't they? So it wouldn't surprise me if, if like as Jake already alluded to, finals do sometimes tend to be low scoring, but often it all comes down to you know when the first goal is scored because uh, it just changes the game dynamic. Um, I haven't got a huge opinion really on the on the match odds. I think Mark um, made a good case for you know why we're seeing the odds that we're seeing. Um, I just had a look into some into, into some of the side markets in case you wanted to have a a bigger pro, a bigger bet on a sorry a bigger price on um, you know something for a bit more interest. Um, they're all skewed towards Liverpool, but Liverpool are the favourites, and you know favourites do tend to win more often than not. Um, if Liverpool are going to win, you know they're six to five on the sports book. Probably likely or high high percentage chance that Salah might score. So if you back Salah to score and Liverpool to win, that six to five goes to eleven to four, which to me seems a very nice jump. Uh, Twenty-seven goals in thirty-one games now this season. He scored in both games against Chelsea already this season. I uh, look a bit further down the market into the assists. You can get Trent Alexander-Arnold to register an assist at three to one. He's got fourteen this season. Uh, it's kind of a one-in-two man. So if you get a guy that's one-in-two and you're getting odds that 25%, then pretty nice. That uh, does seem big, doesn't it, Stinch? Because, I mean, I always look at that anytime assist market and there are some really chunky prices on offer. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of assists is probably even higher volatility than scorers because not every goal is has an assist. 
So, yeah. for example, like a penalty, for example, that isn't technically an assist. Um, this is not fantasy Premier League. Um, if it's an own <laughs> goal, that's not an assist either. So I haven't done any research this season, but I remember looking a while back, it was around about 80% of Premier League goals were assisted. So then you're playing with the fact that that 20% of, you know, you might not get anyone register it. But if you, if you fancy, I say, if you fancy team to score or score at least more than one, then, you know, if you're getting prices like three to one on a guy that is going to take all the set pieces, is going to put in a lot of different crosses. His link-up play with Salah is obviously really, really good as well. You know, you can imagine him clipping a through ball for Salah or something like that, or maybe Salah working some magic from that right-hand side and cutting in and shooting with his left. So I think it gives you, and, and he'll probably play the whole match as well, so it gives you an interest for the whole match if you wanted to look outside. You could look on the other side as well. Andy Robertson's at four to one. So one unit higher than that, three to one. He's been uh, getting loads of assists recently, 10 in his last 16 games. So that might be because the forward lines changed around a little bit with Luis Diaz coming in. And uh, we've seen the last two games that Mane has been occupying that central striker role with, with uh, Firmino and Jota injured at the moment. Uh, the other one I looked at was um, Liverpool have been awarded uh, an awful lot of penalties recently. And the referee in this game is Stuart Atwell. Um, now, he hasn't refereed that many games this season, hasn't given lots and lots of penalties, kind of in line with with uh, what the penalty expectancy is here. But he awarded Liverpool a penalty at home to Villa just before Christmas um, when Steven Gerrard returned in quite a tight game. And he also awarded a penalty against Chelsea at the back end of last season, which um, ironically was also against Villa. And Liverpool are 5-1 to one to score a penalty. And i just say, given, given the fact they've been awarded a lot recently, uh, I think they've scored five in the last 15. Uh, again, that might be another prop you want to go down. And then if you fancy Liverpool to lift the trophy, Liverpool are 1.66 to lift the trophy. I think it's worth maybe boosting that and looking in the multiple trophies on the uh, Betfair Sportsbook. We discussed the fact about um, the Champions League outrights uh, last week and I think it was kind of touched upon that Liverpool might be worth a bet. Liverpool now moves into second favourites at 5.0. You can get Liverpool to win the Champions League and the EFL Cup of odds of 7-1. to one. So that boost of from 5.0 to 7-1 to one, if they win the uh, EFL Cup their big odds on favourites at 1.66, then uh, that's obviously something that um, not only going to give you nice interest if they lift the trophy for the rest of the season, but obviously also going to give you very nice value on boosting that 5.0 to 7 to 1. Um, so yeah, just a few uh, outside bets there that uh, I thought were, were interesting at the odds. Some great selections there to enjoy ahead of what should be a really captivating final. Now, we know it's frustrating when you get frozen out of a bet. So Betfair is offering no cash out suspensions on match odds over, under and goal markets on the sportsbook, even during VAR reviews or when there's a penalty. West Ham take on Wolves in a battle for European qualification at the time of recording. We don't know how Wolves got on at Arsenal. But what we do know, Mark, is that West Ham are 2.12 here. They're not on great form at the moment. No, um, it feels like to me an opportunity to oppose West Ham at a price which is to me based on what they've done across the campaign, which is understandable rather than what they've been doing more recently, which has been quite unremarkable, really. And clearly Wolves will be at a disadvantage playing on Thursday night against Arsenal and that will disrupt their rest and preparation. But uh, it's not enough to really put me off this, to be honest, um, because West Ham last weekend were, I felt, almost second best at home to Newcastle, a Newcastle team without Sam Maxman or Wilson. Uh, and they've only actually managed to win six of their 13 matches at the London Stadium 
this season and they've conceded multiple goals in seven of those as well. Um, and yeah, their recent form since November's international break where they went into it, was it Liverpool or Chelsea they beat before it? But uh, since then, uh, they've won five, drawn twice and lost six. Uh, and four of their six clean sheets across the whole season have come against the bottom five. So to me, they look like a team who are jaded in the final third, so reliant now on Jared Bowen because Mikel Antonio isn't looking as uh, proficient as he probably was earlier in the campaign. I'm really surprised they didn't do business in January to bulk up that forward line or at least give them an option off the bench. But um, yeah, not ideal really when you come up against a Wolves team who just don't give much away really. Um, they started the season with three consecutive defeats, but since then it's just five losses in 21 since August, only beaten three times on their travels. In terms of points per game, they're not actually too far off Liverpool and Chelsea's away record, and no team has conceded fewer goals than Wolves on the road so far this season. And yeah, if you're looking at recent form guides, since the start of December, they've lost narrowly 1-0 at Man City, they've won at Man United, Spurs, Brentford and Brighton, so they're not going to be fearing a trip to, to West Ham. And yeah, in terms of ratings, I've got West Ham rated sort of mid-table at home, uh, and Wolves inside the top six for expected points away. So uh, 1.86 for Wolves plus half a goal on the Asian handicap. You're getting paid out if they avoid defeat at West Ham, I think is, is fine. Yeah, Stinch, this feels like an opportunity missed for West Ham, doesn't it? Because you look at Burnley signing somebody like Vout Veghorst, that's made a tangible difference to them already. And West Ham fans will look at that and think, well, why couldn't we have done that? Yeah, who was that Ajax fella that scored on Wednesday night? <laughs> yeah, the guy who's got you know, double figures when it comes to Champions League goals this season. Can't remember his name. Johnny Baller or something like that. <laughs> He's a good player, though. Yeah, it's yeah. ridiculous. I mean, they ne but they never really played to Alaire's strengths, didn't they? Because they're obsessed with Mikel Antonio, which I understand because he's a very good player and he's a nice chap. But I, I think they felt that he could take on everything and everyone, and it's being proven not to be the case. Yeah, and also he can't play every minute of every single game, can he? Yeah. And the fact that you look at his injury record and it's very poor, <clears throat> and he's... Excuse me. <clears throat> he's um he's now 31. Um, so you know he's moving into the sort of past his past his prime, arguably. So yeah, I thought it's quite strange that they don't have like a natural backup. Yeah, I think Mark um Mark's bet's really good here. To be honest, um, West Ham have have underperformed, or their their results certainly have when they have been um favourites in matches. Uh, when they've been odds on, they've failed to win six of eight games. Um, so yeah, very very happy to oppose oppose West Ham here and back Wolves. The other bet I was looking at was um, the goal line because it's been pitched up quite short. So whenever uh, whenever I see a, a low goal expectancy in the Premier League like this one, so this one's chalked up at 2.35. So that means over two and a half goals is 23 to 20. I always try and find reasons sort of not to attack it. Um, so that means that over two goals on the uh, exchange is around about 1.75. So the only way your bet is going to lose if there's zero or one goals. Premier League's averaging 2.81 goals per game this season. So if you kind of use that as a, a starting price for all your games, you'd be looking at around about 1.44 for over two goals. So, you know, quite a big disparity. Uh, West Ham's games are averaging over three a game and their XG is as well. So it's kind of in keeping what we're seeing. 13 of the last 17 games have seen two or more goals and 11 of 13 at home. So you'd get at least a push if there's if there's two goals. Uh, Wolves matches obviously have been very low scoring. That's why we've got this low expectancy here. So Wolves matches is only averaging 1.71. But if you look at the expected goals seen in their games, it's actually at 2.57, which is much higher than the, the 2.35 that the odds 
of, of basically being driven by here. They've got the joint second best defence in the league, but again, that's sort of overachieving by 12 goals, which is not sustainable. Um, Jose Saar, he's second in, in our sort of uh, kind of goalkeeper favourite metric of post-shot expected goals of 8.1, which is a very high number. Generally, the median is around about zero. Uh, Aaron Ramsdale's at zero. Uh, De Gea's at top with 9.4, which is no surprise. Um, and third is Fraser Forster way back on 2.9. So it just goes to show though how big outliers that Saar and De Gea are. And yeah, you're going to get your full stakes back if only two goals are scored. But definitely, um, definitely Mark's bet, I think, is the best one to take. And But if you wanted a goals-based bet, I would look at the overs as well. Jake, you have the look of a man who uh, stints to just run off like a thief into the night with your bets. But is that uh, bet the case? And notes, yeah. Ah, He's very taking good. everything. Uh, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> no, I, very little to add, really. Uh, Stinch has hit the nail on the head. Wolves. Biggest overperformers when it comes to defensive expected goals against. Um, I actually ran a Poisson simulation to see what kind of spread we could have expected from the Wolves to concede. From you the ran a what the, simulation? A, a Poisson simulation. So a, a fish simulation. <laughs> oh dear! Come on, Kev. Okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's one of those basically that Stinch okay. is doing it. Yeah, it, it's just a, a way of calculating the uh, a, a percentage chance of a number of things happening. So for Wolves, okay. they should have conceded close to 32 goals, but using a Poisson simulation, we can see the uh, variation of number of goals they could have actually conceded. So there was a 0.4% chance that Wolves would have conceded 18 goals from the chances that they've allowed uh, and a 0.43% chance that they would have conceded 40 goals from the chances that they would have conceded. Just highlighting how unlikely it is that Wolves were to have conceded such a low amount from the chances they faced. um, Getting at the point that Wolves' defence is not actually as good as what the raw numbers would suggest, which is what Stinch was saying, uh, with Jose Sarr obviously massive contributor to that um so yeah basically i've got the same goal the, the same bet for for this one which is the over two goal line i think that the price is just it's just too big really for two goals in the game um uh, especially given wolves's sort of overperformance in defense we can expect that to regress at some point this season um so we start to see them conceding at a rate we would uh, more likely to expect and west ham They've been a little bit off it, haven't they, from an attacking standpoint. But overall this season, their games at home have seen around three expected goals per match, which is you know, one of the highest in the league. So fully expecting um, a fair few goals in this one. And you know, it is a massive game in the race for Europe. It's a massive game for both teams uh, who, who have got realistic aspirations. Um, and I think that we could see an entertaining ding-dong battle because depending on results on Saturday, for example, if Tottenham win, if Manchester United win, um, and if Arsenal beat Wolves on Thursday, then this almost looks like a bit of a last chance saloon for both, really, um, in which case you would expect them to come out swinging. Originally, I thought you said a croissant simulation and I got very excited. That would be better, actually. It'd be tastier. Love, yeah, that would be great. I do <laughs> love a croissant. Uh, it's one of the biggest derbies in Europe this Sunday as title-chasing Sevilla face a Betis side playing some of the best football in La Liga right now. Mark O'Hare, are we choosing violence here? Of course, we're choosing violence. There will yes. be blood. There will be blood. Excellent. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's you know I did some research a couple of seasons ago about the the most brutal um, derbies across Europe, really uh, the tastiest and, and feistiest fixtures, and uh, the Seville derby between Sevilla and Betis comes out very much on top alongside the derby della Latana, uh, Genoa against Sampdoria. Um, so yeah, I mean it's almost irrelevant who the referee is in these situations. It, things tend to 
to boil up and we've got Carlos Del Chero Grande being the referee here and he is above average in La Liga in terms of his cards output. Not amazing, but he's still very much up there. So um, that's encouraging, but um, I don't know if anybody knows, I'm sure you guys do, but the, the last meeting between the two teams was... Um, yeah, it's pretty pretty mad actually in January in the Copa del Rey. Um, I'll try and unpack it really quickly, but basically the the match was suspended when a Betis fan threw a, a flagpole down onto the pitch and actually hit uh, Juan Jordan, Sevilla's midfielder, in the head. Um, so much happened thereafter, um, but basically the match was suspended and played the next day without fans in the same stadium. Betis won uh, in the celebrations. Andreas Guardado basically tried to, to mimic the the um, Jordan being hit on the head by a water bottle and falling down laughing and kind of instigated a lot of um, you know <laughs> bad blood basically not that it needed to but there's also accusations from both teams tweets and and uh, insults from both clubs and players um, around how they conducted their behaviour, particularly severe coach Julian Lopetegui, who has apparently heard on TV telling Jordan to go down and milk the injury, uh, even though he'd been walking around for about 15 minutes after the incident. So it got very messy, and uh, I don't think it requires much fuel uh, for this match to boil over uh, at the best of times, let alone after what happened in January. So, yeah, expecting a, a bit of a fierce atmosphere and uh, if you look at the last 10 meetings between the two teams, four of which were played behind closed doors, we've had 67 cards. So, you know, it's really encouraging to have a, a reasonable referee in a match that normally boils over anyhow. So the the card, the, the traders aren't going to give us a huge amount to play with. Markets aren't out yet, but I'm not expecting any gifts to be had. So we've got to be a bit inventive. So similar to what we did with the PSG Real Madrid match in the Champions League, there might be an opportunity to play a couple of doubles and trebles, even a Yankee really, um, with a few player cards. So I've outlined a couple, two from each team, obviously all relating to team news. So we, we can't be for sure if these players start, but Guido Rodriguez plays defensive midfield of Betis, six cards and 18 starts so far this season. He's always in the middle of it. Um, and Nabil, Nabil Fakir, uh, fantastic going forward, but loves a card as well. Seven and 22 starts. Both lead the team for foul counts and uh, and tackles as well, and both known to lose their head in, in heat of battle. And then for Sevilla, uh, Fernando probably starting in holding midfield, five cards and 20 starts. He'll be busy. And then you've got Marcos Acuna, at left back, um, Argentinian, quite a feisty little player, five cards and 17. He's always up there for fouls and tackles. Uh, and just like Fakir, um, uh, Marcus Acuna uh, absolutely loves to mouth off at the referee as well. So you've always got that in your back pocket too. But yeah, if they don't start, possibly Willy Carvalho, Jean Jordan, Diego Carlos, Edgar at centre-half. There's there's so many candidates. You know, <laughs> Just everybody. Sometimes. Yeah. Um, quite often this match features at least three cards for both teams as well. So um, I'll be distraught if this match doesn't kind of, uh, <laughs> live up to the billing of pure violence. But uh, yeah, it's definitely one to, to bookmark in your calendar every year. He'll zoom over to Spain and start some violence himself if he doesn't see real <laughs> violence uh, in that severe Betis clash. Elsewhere in La Liga, improving Barcelona up against an athletic club side uh, that has just demolished their Basque rivals, Real Sociedad, 4-0. Stinch, this is a really interesting one. At the time of recording, we don't know how Barcelona have got on against Napoli in the Europa League. That is an important tournament for them. But they're on track to qualify for the Champions League anyway. And you just get the sense that even though they're nowhere near where Chabby wants them to be in the long term, they're getting better. Yeah, I think improving Barcelona is sort of the nail on the head there. Um, I have kind of feel as though 
yeah, the shift away from the Coman era to the Xavi era is one that makes complete sense and is just being shown on the pitch. I think it's been helped by the transfers. Bankrupt yeah. Barcelona being able to bring in three players is all a bit farcical, but there we go. Um, Creative accountancy. <laughs> yeah, um, we won't get into that. Uh, not that I know the answer anyway. Um, <laughs> but yeah, in terms of the odds, like Barcelona were 4-9 to nine here. Uh, last season and this time around they're four to seven so that seems a little bit um unfair on Bilbao to be honest you know we Barcelona have dropped off a cliff compared to that you know Messi era and Messi carrying them so I don't think that's fair but I'm looking at the goals here because I think the shift is a uh, huge over two and a half goals is five to six and just think that on the face of it, it looked a massive price. And in the, in this game last season, over two and a half goals was eight to fifteen. So I'm very happy to try and I know it's no Messi, but I just think eight to fifteen to five to six is is an enormous jump. And given the fact that we are talking about an improved Barcelona and a very good Bilbao team, I might add, um, I think it, it makes sense to to try and um, you know make a good case why that that is has gone too far essentially um you look at the 18 games under Xavi so far they've seen 52 goals which is 2.89 per game with nine of the last 14 going over 2.5 including the 2-2 draw with Bilbao in the Copa del Rey in 90 minutes um but you look at Barca before Xavi in those 16 games it just was just 41 goals which is 2.56 so I think it's clear that their games are seeing more goals and obviously we can see that Barcelona are the ones that mainly scoring them with those four they against both Atletico and Valencia. Um, they scored 21 in those 16, whereas they've now scored 30 in 18 under Xavi. So, you know, a, a decent increase there. Um, and yeah, I mentioned those arrivals. Uh, Aubameyang obviously got off the mark with a hat-trick against Valencia and only a second start. Uh, Dama Traore's got two assists in three. And, you know, maybe this massive new Camp pitch is going to improve his output because there's a little bit more space for him. Um, Ferran Torres only scored one penalty, but he is trying. He is trying, bless him. I don't know if anybody saw the game against Napoli last week, but he had nine, yeah. he had nine shots. <laughs> and, and he almost looked disgusted that, uh, he, when he scored the penalty, uh, as if like, well, why, you know, why do I need a penalty to, to score when I've had all these other chances? Should have got a hat-trick. Yeah, exactly. Chances after that, yeah. Exactly. But, you know, that's a huge improvement on what, on, uh, no offence, Luke Dion. Um, so, but with Bilbao, you kind of know what you're going to get with their Basque-only approach and what I'm getting at there. It doesn't it doesn't lead to a huge player turnover. You know, Raul Garcia, Inaki Williams, Ika Munyain, you know, it's the same players season after season. And, you know, recent games between these two have been quite goal-heavy, 22 in the last six. And it's not just all coming from Barcelona. Bilbao scored in five of those six as well. So, yeah, I just thought, given the fact that it's five to six on overs in a team where they've got these new signings and it looks like they're beginning to gel, beginning to click. And the fact that it was eight to 15 last season, I just thought was too big a jump. Staying with Spain, Villarreal drew one all with Juventus in midweek in the Champions League. They've won eight of their last ten in the league as they face Espanyol. Jake and Villarreal are looking pretty good right now. They're looking very good, yeah. Um, you know, that, the most recent of those league wins, they racked up five expected goals at Granada last week. Which is and that's just, without Gerard Moreno, who's injured. Yeah, which is a mental total. And, and I guess the fact that Granada racked up 3.1 XG themselves shows the kind of uh, crazy nature with which Villarreal are currently playing. And that, that's backed up with the underlying numbers from that 10-game span where they've averaged 2.56 expected goals for and allowed 1.14 expected goals against per game. So usually... 
Villarreal are winning games, um, but also conceding. So, you know, Espanola are in town and they, they're winless in six, but the last two, um, they did draw with Barcelona and Sevilla, two you know, of the league's better sides, 1-1 uh, and 2-2. Two, two. Really entertaining team to watch on the whole this season and, and particularly in the last nine matches with all of their last nine games seen both teams score, which is my bet for this game, which I was really surprised to see it around the even money mark. Uh, on the exchange, uh, it's landed in 60% of Espanyol's total games this season in La Liga. But like I said, in all of the last nine, which included four away games, and, and given the way in which Villarreal have been playing, such an attack-minded team, but also leave themselves vulnerable, I just thought the price was just too big around both teams to score in that one. And finally, it wouldn't be football only better these days without a fun Serie A bet. Mark O'Hare will do the honours. Yeah, um, Verona against Venezia on Sunday uh, really stands out to me as a potential goal game. Um, you know, we've we've talked about the downcline in in, in girls and in, in girls. <laughs> in girls. Um, so we've talked about the what, Mark? <laughs> I said the downcline in girls. I meant goals. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that's I mean... a different show, Mark. <laughs> oh, throw me. Um, yeah, I mean. <laughs> There's, uh, Serie A's not been quite as frantic in, in the last couple of weeks, but uh, I do believe this match has real potential to, to be quite fun and exciting. And if you look at the goal expectancy for this game, it's standing at 2.95 and over two and a half goals has been backed into around 1.71, which is fair enough, really. But what's quite interesting, really, is take that goal expectancy, take on the, the price on over two and a half goals. Well, both teams to score is currently trading at 1.82, which uh, doesn't make too much sense to me when you look at the overs price and the goal expectancy. And... Look, Verona are the goal kings of Serie A this season. They've gone over two and a half in 19 of 26. They've gone over three and a half in, in 13 of those 26. And 20 of the 26 have seen both teams scoring. Uh, they made one of their sort of traditional fast starts last week against Roma. 2-0 up, had a third goal ruled out and ended up drawing the match 2-2. Um, but what was quite significant about that game was uh, they collected two cards for key defenders, Casali and Gunter, uh, two of their first choice defenders in a, in a back three. Uh, they're now suspended and also one of their centre-back backups is, is injured as well. So they are going to require a bit of a reshuffle defensively, possibly a system change. Uh, and it's not ideal really because they've only kept three clean sheets this season anyhow. So it's very difficult to see them sort of silencing a Valencia team who are battling to, to survive, but actually showing quite a lot going forward in recent weeks. They've scored in eight of the last ten. They've scored against Lazio, Juve and Inter in that run. And if you look at their record against teams outside the top five, they've scored in 15 of 17. Uh, and 13 of those 17 saw both teams scoring because Venezia themselves don't keep clean sheets. They manage just three themselves all season. Uh, the reverse of this match ended 4-3. Um, so both teams to score at 1.82 on the exchange looks just too big to me considering over two and a half goals is 1.71 and the goal expectancy is 2.95. Uh, I'm not expecting a 3-0 or 4-0 home win. Uh, wouldn't be more inclined to see BTDS and over two and a half goals cop. And Mark's controversial documentary, The Downturn in Girls, will broadcast <laughs> later this year. Uh, that's all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. And before we go, we say a farewell to our editor, Dan Thomas, who's basically run the show uh, from the get-go. He's put up with all of our nonsense. I mean, just imagine what a diva Mark O'Hare is to deal with uh, for a start. Uh, he's been a terrific boss 
Newcastle will miss him a lot. Uh, we wish him and his beloved Tottenham all the best for the future, uh, as long as it doesn't mess up our bets, in which case <laughs> Tottenham can lose uh, for all we care. Uh, someone else now has the daunting task of coming up with the titles for the show. From Mark, from Stinch, from Jake, from Dan and from me, it's goodbye for now.